ish, but then a little closer to the back from there. Ephesians, we're going to hang out in chapter 1. So there was a time when I was interviewing, talking with church leaders here at Dublin Bible Church. Uh, that time was just roughly a little over a year ago now. Getting to know each other and praying through, both the church praying and us praying about, man, is God, is this what you're doing and bringing us together? And in the, the process, everything, at least from our side and from what I've heard from folks, uh, it just seemed to go smoothly. Uh, it just really did. It's one of those times when God was a parent and it seemed like it was what God was doing and there wasn't a whole lot of bumps in the road in, in that regard. One thing that, just because I'm an, an overactive worrier sometimes, one thing that concerned me and I, I said, hey, uh, I need to have breakfast with a, with a couple of deacons one time when we were in town, so I just want to run a couple things by you. One of the things that I ran by them, one of my concerns was, hey, I realize that a lot of folks around here, a lot of folks that I'm bumping into that are part of Dublin Bible Church, they're woodsmen. They're outdoorsy. They're hunters. They hunt everything that breathes. In fact, I'm a little nervous when I'm around some of you guys, right? They're, they're hunters. They're fishermen. And I'm all for that, but that's not necessarily me. Like, that's not driving part of my personality. I've done a little bit of it. That's not me. I shared that with them. They were like, man, you're good. And then they said, no, no, that's fine. If you, if you don't do those things, that's, that's perfectly fine. And then I'll never forget, I got here the first week, and it was like, hey, we're going to get you out there hunting. I was like, nah. <laughs> Like, well, you might get shot because I'm not patient and I'll be trigger hungry after about four hours. All right. So, but, but I remember though, there were some times in my life when I did enjoy at least fishing a little bit. Never been a hunter, but I did like to fish. And one of the places that I would go to fish probably 15 years or so ago was the Warrior River. The Warrior River runs through Alabama and it just so happened to run about 10 minutes from where we lived at the time. And so uh, I would go and I had a, a guy in our church, one of the deacons there. Uh, Mr. Billy Edwards, he had told me, listen, if you want to go fish the river and you want to feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, like Grand Canyon kind of stuff, come with me sometime. I'll show you where you can go on my property. I said, all right. And so I went one day with Billy and me and a friend, and we met Billy and went out, and he took us out in the woods to his property, and it was absolutely gorgeous. It was like something out of a magazine or a calendar, just this beautiful lay of land sunk down into the river. We got down in the river, and we waded in the cold water. And honestly, I don't know how much it was about fishing as much as it was about just wading in the water because it felt good. Uh, it was the middle of the summertime. But we would go there. We fished a couple of times. And Mr. Billy had told me, hey, listen, anytime you want to come here and fish, don't worry about asking me. Don't worry about whatever. If you want to come fish on my property, you just go ahead and you just come. I was like, all right, well, you don't have to tell me twice. So I called up a high school buddy named Matt who was in town one weekend. I said, hey, let's go to this place. I got this place to fish. We go, we park our car, we traipse through the wood. We're wading in the river, having the time of our lives. We've caught a couple. We're having a great time. We're out there. And everything tightened up, though, all of a sudden when there was a figure standing over on the bank. And it was not the figure of a person I'd ever seen before. And I noticed in my peripheral, because I'm a nervous person, that there also happened to be a shotgun. And I don't remember the gentleman's name. I can't believe I don't remember it. I was probably so frightened that my brain was not working correctly. It was some kind of initials, though. It was like, it was like DA or ED or, or FJ or TR or something. Maybe TR, right? We'll go with TR. And uh, TR is standing there, and he's just watching us. And my buddy, how I realized, my buddy Matt was starting to look at me, and he was kind of like throwing his eyes up like, hey, something's going on over there. And then I look, and I was like, oh, no, what's happening over there? And so we do what you absolutely shouldn't do, especially as grown men. We just ignore him. Okay, we just don't even look at the guy. We're just doing our deal. And then eventually he says, uh, good fishing today? 
Uh, yeah, we, we've caught a couple. It's been all right, you know. You guys having a good time? Yeah, man, this water is beautiful. This is awesome. We, we love it here. I'm just wondering where this is going. He says, uh, yeah, so, so man, how did you guys make your way out here to this part of the river? And I said, well, we know Billy. We know the guy who owns it. Billy told us we could come out here. And then it got real serious. All of a sudden, he said, Billy don't own this property here. Woo, and I got scared. <laughs> guy with a shotgun letting me know, this is my property. You're not supposed to be on it, and you better get out of here. I'll never forget, as like a 20-something-year-old guy, I have never felt like more afraid and pansy in my life and just didn't care, right? We were, we were getting out of those woods so quick. You've never seen people sprint through woods the way that we did. We were like, oh, TR is about to blast us to eternity if we don't hurry up and get out of here, right? It's funny, though. I think about that memory sometimes because it's a moment in my life when I was the most confident that we were going to have a great day and a great time, but it went the most poorly, because my confidence was all based in the wrong thing. My confidence was based in a guy named Billy, who happened to be a neighbor to TR, we're calling him today. <laughs> happened to be TR's neighbor, and the spot that Billy had showed me was apparently a little bit down from Billy's actual property line, and apparently TR didn't like it too much, but everything that was in my mind about how I should feel good and safe about traipsing on somebody else's property was all because I knew Billy. I remember telling Billy about it later. I was like, hey, Billy, you remember where you took us to that one spot? And he was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that part ain't exactly mine. I was like, well, that would have been great for you to tell us, Billy. That would have been nice. <laughs> but all my confidence, all my hope of a great day was stocked up in the fact that I knew this guy, and I didn't really know the guy. You've seen this in your life, maybe not wading in a river, maybe not fishing, but you've seen people live out confidence, big and strong, based on absolutely faulty foundations. You've seen it. You've seen it in the guy who thinks he's doing a great job of flirting with the girl. You've seen it. You can tell that everything in his fiber thinks that he is winning her heart and he is doing a great job. But you have the ability to read the room in a way that he apparently doesn't. And you can see her face and he's not doing good at all. All right. You've seen it before, right? He's laying it on thick. It's hitting like a ton of bricks. You've seen it in the coworker, right, who's, who's trying to gain the affection of the supervisor, and they're making the pitch, and they're saying the thing, and they think it's going well, and you're sitting in the corner going, man, you are digging your own grave. You've seen it in an athlete, maybe, right, that, that they're the best of the best. They've always been the big fish in a small pond, and so they've always dominated and been the best, and they think they're going to go and run game on the best of the best, and then they get to that high level, and all of a sudden, they're not quite as good as they used to be because they put their confidence in the basis of their competition. <laughs> they were going, hey, I'm confident based on what they're able to do, right? That's what they spoke to themselves. Your, your friend who's landed on thick with the ladies, right? he's, he's placing his confidence in what he thinks she wants and his ability to bring it. He's not basing it in a, an accurate perception. What I'm hoping that our minds will land on and our hearts will be pulled into this morning is that as we're studying the book of Ephesians, God is telling us directly, he's telling us really in a way that teases out every single one of these different little characteristics he's telling us about. He's telling us every way that he wants us to hear in this book about how he has remade us. And I'm here to say to you today that if I understand scripture rightly, there's a couple of places that God would want us to have assurance there's a couple of places that God will want us to have confidence in our life of faith. And one of those is in what God is doing in my life. 
It's when I see different desires in me or I see different patterns of life in me and I go, wait a minute, that's not what it used to be and I can, that's different because God is changing me. <laughs> I, I've seen it in my life. I have a great front row seat for this as a pastor. From time to time, you get to call it three in the morning and there's something going on. And, and I've seen it when I'm tired and I'm trying to get my head around what's even happening, but there's something in my heart that, that just instinctively wants to go towards this situation. And I've seen it, and I've driven to those situations and gone, God, like, man, it's awesome. Like, I know you're in me because I know me, and I can be pretty selfish. <laughs> but, man, I see you're working me to draw me there. One place that God wants us to have assurance and confidence is when we see the outworking of his work in us. But the bigger place, the more important place, the place that all of that outworking flows from is simply in who God has declared us to be, who he has remade us to be. When we came to Jesus, what we're hearing from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians is that God did not just polish us up a little bit. He didn't just fix us up and, and give us a spiritual makeover. He completely reworked us inside. And as we started the first chapter of Ephesians last week, we saw that, that Paul was saying this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he said before the foundations of time, we were picked, we were chosen be followers of Jesus and to have what he said in this chapter, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Then we saw him as he did just start to unpack some of what those spiritual blessings are. He talked about even though you're sinful and you don't get it right all the time, God has declared you holy and blameless. Even though he knows about the reality of your sin, relationally he chooses to interact with you as if he has thrown that sin into an ocean without bottom and without shore. He doesn't treat you according to your sin. He treats you as if you're holy and blameless because Jesus is and your trust is in him. He said, in Jesus, another spiritual blessing, you've been adopted. You weren't part of a family. You were an orphan. You were homeless. You didn't know where to go to look for that family. And he says, God brought you into himself as father and brought you into a family called the church. Now, it's an imperfect family, but it's a great family when we get it right the way that God leads us in Scripture. Because he's adopted you. He has chosen you. And now, we're going to see a couple more of these spiritual blessings today, this list in no way is meant to be exhaustive. It's not to be that this is every spiritual blessing that we have in Jesus, but it is meant to be thorough, to give us some ideas about what it is, how extensive a work it is that God has done in us. So last week, we started on these spiritual blessings, and we kind of wound up that section as, as Paul talked about what God has done in eternity past. He goes, here's what the Father has done before the foundation of time he set his affection on the ones that would be his. Here's what the Father's done. He got to the end of that section. He said, all this is to the praise of his glorious grace. That's where we're going to pick back up right after that statement in verse 7. It says this, says, in him, that being in Jesus, if you remember we said last week, verses 3 through 14, all one long sentence in the original language that is Greek. In that one sentence, there's 10 different times that it's in him, in the beloved, right? It's talking about being in Christ. Verse 7 starts with it again. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth, there it is again, in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
So we start in verse 7 as we unpack a couple more of these spiritual blessings. The first one, you see, in him, in Christ, we have what? Underline it in your heart, if nowhere else. We have redemption. Now, I'll just ask you, you don't, you don't have to say out loud, I guess you can, but I, I would be willing to bet that if we all were forced to say out loud or scream out loud on the count of three, what does redemption mean, one, two, three, I bet we'd get either a whole lot of different answers or I bet we'd get a whole lot of mumbling because we kind of want to say something, but we don't ain't so sure. You, you ever done that? Where it's like, I'm going to answer, but I'm not going to say it too loud, and that way if the person next to me says something sounds better, I'm going to start saying what they say, right? So it's kind of like, I think redemption means something, right? That you want to do that. I bet we'd hear that because redemption is not a word that we use a lot. It's not a word that we use a lot in our culture. So what is the Bible talking about when it says that in Jesus, if we're his followers, we have redemption? There's a couple of thoughts expressed biblically by this idea of redemption. The first one is purchase. The first one is purchase. The other one is deliverance. Right? So it means not just that you're bought, but it means that you're bought for freedom, that you're bought in love, for love, that love brought the Father's heart to come and pursue you through the sacrifice of his Son, that Jesus would shed his blood to purchase you out of the debt that you owed, purchase you out of the penalty and power of sin, that love drove him to purchase you, and then it's for love that he purchased you so that you can continue to walk in that and grow in that and know his love more and experience and express his love more to others. He's bought us in love, for love. Think about a coupon. I haven't had a coupon in a while. Any coupon shoppers in the house, right? Love you and I'm for you. But if you're that person standing at the register flipping through your, your baseball card book of coupons, it takes like an hour and a half. Whoo, I love you. Okay, I love you. All right. Any of those folks, if you ever look on a coupon, I hadn't looked at one lately, but it'll say on the back sometimes the terms or the conditions of the coupon. It'll tell you this is when you can use it. This is how you can use it. And it'll say there must be redeemed by. There'll be a date that it has to be redeemed by. Or it'll say to be redeemed only on these days of the week. Or it'll say redeemed only with this one coupon, not offer, offer not valid with other coupons. What's it saying there? It's saying this word redeemed means that there's a transaction, that you hand them what you have and you get something that you want. <laughs> say that again. It's really simple. You hand them what you have and you get something that you want. Can I just say to you, follower of Jesus, who's wallowing in guilt and shame and pain this week, who's not sure where the Father is, not sure if God loves you, God in his Son has crushed his Son. The prophet says that it pleased him to crush Jesus so that in so doing, he would give that sacrifice and he would get you. Not because you're special, not because you're the one that everybody needs to talk about, not because you were born of some better moral ilk than everyone else, just because he's the father and he calls you the child, even when you were spiritually dead, even when you were living in rebellion, he said, oh yeah, I absolutely love that one. That's one of the ones that I chose before the foundations of time. Here's my son's life. I will crush him. I will give him. To get what I want. And listen, follower of Jesus, you don't hear anything else today. What he wanted just because he's him is you. That, yeah, you can clap for Jesus. You can clap for what he's done in your life. Because doesn't that sound a lot different than we often feel as Christians? 
Maybe it's not your experience, but it's my experience that I often feel like I'm not living up, like I'm not doing good enough, like there's no way the Lord could be proud of me. Like when I come to him in prayer, I got to confess stuff for about 17 hours before I can get in two minutes of conversation because I'm such guilty, sinner, guilt. That's what the enemy would want to tell me. That's what the flesh would want to tell me. And it's true that there is sin that has transpired in my life, but it's also true that the father doesn't deal with me as a sinner. He deals with me as a son. He has bought us through crushing his son. This is redemption. He gives us some modifiers. He says, listen, how were you redeemed? How were you bought in love for love? Well, first of all, you were purchased with blood. You see that in verse 7. It was through the blood of Jesus that you were purchased. Here's why he references blood here, I believe, is because God set up a long time ago from the Old Testament. He's been showing over and over and over and over again so that we would get it through our thick spiritual skull that where there is sin, there must be death. That the penalty for sin is death. Where there is sin, there must be death. And that's why you see over and over in the Old Testament animals, living things, sacrificed when the people have Sin, you see their blood being the covering that shows there's been a sacrifice and this sin is now covered. Jesus has shed his blood so that when the Father looks down upon our lives, he sees the perfect righteous blood of Jesus. He says he's bought you with his blood. You ever had somebody, maybe it's one of your kids or something, they want to get something from you. Or they just want to tell you that they love you and they give you their most important thing or the thing they love most, even if it's not that valuable in terms of what you could get for it at the store. But when somebody goes, hey, I want to give you this and you know it's their thing, right? I give my blood that you would be mine, that you would know the Father. You want to talk about being remade? You're no longer ID'd primarily as sinner or struggle. You're ID'd as part of my family, one of the redeemed. You're purchased with blood. You're purchased from what? Verses 7 and 8. From the penalty of sin. He said he has purchased us. He's given us this redemption which he equates with the forgiveness of our sins. Listen, that feeling that I was just talking about a moment ago where we walk around feeling condemned and and head down and all that. Listen, that feeling would be appropriate if we didn't know Jesus. That feeling would be accurate if we haven't put our hope in Jesus because our righteousness does fail before his holiness. Big time. Every time. Our best righteousness fails to match the standard of holiness. On your best ever day, it's not your righteousness that's earning you favor with God. It's the righteousness of Jesus. We would be right to feel that way because of this lack of holiness in us, because of this proclivity to sin. We are people who are under the penalty of sin, and that feels heavy. Can you imagine living on death row, knowing that your death is coming, knowing that you'll never see the outside and you know what's coming? Can you imagine that weight? Spiritually, that's where humanity is apart from Jesus. He says, in Christ, if you're trusting in him, that's been removed from you. The penalty of your sin is gone. And did you see the beautiful words that it used to describe it? He said that that he's lavished richly this, this grace upon us. To be lavished upon means not just to dabble a little or sprinkle a bit, but it's just to go overboard and just throw it all on there. It's just to go, hey, I've got grace for you, and then you know what I've got for you after grace? i got more grace. You know what i got after grace and grace? i got grace. And then i got grace, 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 grace. He's just throwing grace in our direction. He's throwing ill-deserved favor in our direction in the person of Jesus. 
thought about the best chicken I've ever eaten in my life. It was on a mountaintop in Ecuador. Probably because I was really hungry, probably because we'd eaten a lot of peanut butter and jelly. We're close to the end of a long, hard week, and in this remote village, there's this little market they set up. And by market, I mean it's really small. You wouldn't consider it a market. But they're selling the things that they can or exchanging and trading the things that they can. And this lady sold us some chicken. And I'm talking about it was good, y'all. Like, I don't even know how to tell you about it. It was just good, right? And I watched as she was making the chicken. I was eating the chicken, and I started paying attention to watch her cook the chicken. I'm like, what is she putting on this chicken to make it so good? Let me tell you what she seasoned it with. It's a long list. It goes like this. Salt. All right, that's all she put on it. That's it. She put some salt, and then when she got done, she put some salt. And then she flipped it over, she put some salt. And she went, I don't think that's enough. She put some more salt. She flipped it back over and went, some of that salt fell off on the flip, so I got to replace. And she just salted. I was eating that chicken. tastes like I was eating it in salt water at the beach, and it was amazing. <laughs> she was just coating it. And, I, and you would think, like, oh, my goodness, that can't taste good. And then she put it on my plate, and I tasted it. And I was like, that is amazing. She was lavishly dosing this chicken in salt. She was just, man, just letting it live in it. God bathes you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, in grace. In kindness that we've proven we don't deserve. In doing kind things for us that we could never do for ourselves, even if we tried or wanted to. God is constantly giving us grace after grace after grace after grace after grace. Instead of pointing to our sin and telling us that we must pay up. We've been released. We've been purchased from the penalty of sin. I hope you saw as well in verses 9 and 10 that we've been purchased on purpose. It's according to his wisdom. It's according to his purpose. So God didn't get duped into caring about you. God didn't get contractually obligated to rescue and save you. That didn't happen to Jesus. Several years ago, my wife was once sitting at a four-way stop. And she sat there, and there was a lady over here to the side. And Jamie motioned for her to come on, and she was going to let her walk across in front of the car before she went, a very patient, kind, loving thing to do, very much like my wife. As my wife motions her on from this side, Jamie looks over to the other side, making sure cars aren't coming and that she's going to be good to go in just a second. And she hears something over here in her peripheral hearing. And as she turns, this lady that she has just motioned on, she thought across the road, is getting in the car. She has just accidentally picked up a hitchhiker. All right? I don't know anybody else who's ever done it. My wife is a talented individual. She literally accidentally showed grace to a hitchhiker. She waved him across the street. The lady just got in the car. Jamie said, I said, what did you do? She said, I just took her where she said she needed to go. I didn't know what else to do. Right? You ever purchase something on accident? You get home about, man, I didn't actually want that. Right? Right? You ever bought something on Amazon, accidentally gotten two of them? Like, oh, now I got a fool with it. Right? Jesus did not purchase you by mistake. You need to hear that. You need that to soak in for you. It wasn't on a whim. He didn't think about it for half a second and go, I don't know, I'll take one more. Before the foundations of the world, the Father set his affections on you. Jesus living in our time, in our time continuum, he lived out the righteousness of God to spill his blood, to purchase you according to his purpose, according to the will of God. We just read. We think about the will of God so many times it's a, it's a stress-inducing thing. 
It's anxiety. It's like, man, how do I know? Do I stay here or do I move? Do I take the job or not take the job? Do I, right? There's 7,000 questions. Is this God's will or is that God's will? And look, I'm not here to tell you that we always have really clear answers on all of that, but I am here to tell you that God's ultimate will is extremely clear in Scripture. Paul's saying it over and over and over again in this passage. It's that we would be people who gladly, responsibly live to the grace of God for the glory of His grace. Do I take the job or not take the job? Pray, ask God for wisdom, and when the time comes to make the decision, just make the decision and honor and love Jesus either way. And I bet you he'll be honored. I bet you he'll be pleased. We think about the will of God, it can get confusing. It's like the husband who knows that he's done something wrong, but he doesn't know what. Oh, I don't know who that was that grunted, but I'm going to pray for you, brother. All right? You ever been there? Wives, you don't know this about us. Let me just tell you the truth, okay? I'm being as honest with you as I can be. We really didn't know what it was you wanted us to do. I promise it's hard to believe. I know it's hard to believe because you're like, how could you not know? I've seen, right, I've seen an ox with more, like they could have figured that out. And I'm just telling you, the Lord has blessed us with IQ in many ways. But when it comes to what you wanted us to do, we did not know. (laughs) Should we have known? Probably. Did we know? No. You ever been there in that place? Husbands, you don't have to say anything, right? But we all know just brothers right here, me and you, right? Secret handshake after service, okay? You ever been in that place where I love my wife? I very much love her. I'm very willing, even though I'm tired, to serve her and do whatever she wants me to do. But I can tell she's ticked because guess what? I didn't do it. Guess why? I didn't know what it was. And now she's frustrated. If you would have just said, hey, take the trash out or change the sheets, I would have gone and done it and just loved doing it for you. But I didn't know. Can I just say to you, thankfully, that is not our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That we don't live in in some perpetual state of His anger with us. His kind of undergirding, underbubbling sense of just frustration with us. That's not where we live with Him. He has told us how He feels about us, and He has told us what the ultimate big picture for our lives is, what His big picture of His will is, and it's that we would live gladly in response to what Jesus has done for us to make much of Him. And it's according to that wisdom, it's according to that purpose that you have been redeemed, that you've been purchased in love for love. Second spiritual blessing we're going to see, verse 11. It says, in him, there it is again, in him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Just really quickly there, Paul is speaking there when he says, we who were the first to hope, he's speaking, I believe, of the Jewish people. He's saying we were the ones who were first marked to be God's special, selected, chosen people. We were chosen to be the ones whose grace would rest on and everybody would look and see this is what it looks like for God to love people. He said we were the first ones to hope in him. But then it says this in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. Say that again, verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What's the second spiritual blessing we see in these verses? It's this inheritance from God. Here's the crazy thing about an inheritance. When it works like it's supposed to, you don't earn an inheritance. 
You don't get an inheritance based on who you are. You get an inheritance based on who you're related to. I would love to inherit a shaved ice business. Okay, I'm just telling you, it's a weird dream. I'm not even sure if I wanted it. If you handed it to me today, I'd probably be too overwhelmed to even take it. But I've always kind of had this itch that I'm going to sell as much chopped up ice with sugar water as a human has ever seen. I'm going to have fun doing it. It's going to be awesome. right? I've wanted a shaved ice business for, for years. Here's the deal. I know a couple of people that own shaved ice businesses. I know a guy in Farsdale, Alabama who has one. I've just had a few conversations with him. I know him. Right? I know the lady here who owns Frosty Frog. Okay, I don't know if you're a, uh, a Frosty Frog or, or the other place. I, I don't know which one you are, but like we hit up Frosty Frog. It's a Durant tradition on Fridays. I'm getting to know her pretty well. Okay, like like she knows what I want. I can walk up to the window. She'd be like, "You want a toad size with black cherry?" I'd be like, "Yes, ma'am." <laughs> you know it. <laughs> I know them, but guess what? I don't have any kind of depth of relationship with them at all. Guess what? They're likely never ever gonna do. They're probably not ever gonna say to me, "Hey, I want to give you." My shaved ice business. They have it. They have the resource, but I don't have the relationship that would make sense for me to be the ones who receive it. Now, on the flip side, watch this. I have awesome parents who love me very much. Right? I've gotten so much from my parents. If they never gave me another thing in life, they have blessed me over the top abundantly, richly. I tell them all the time when they do kind things for me, I'm always saying, especially to my dad, you don't owe me anything. I owe you everything. Right? And, and they just bless us and bless us and bless us. And maybe one day when they've gone home to be with the Lord, maybe there'll, there'll be some blessings, some inheritance there for me. But guess what I'm not going to inherit from them? A shaved ice business. You know why? Because we have about as strong of a relationship as you can have. They love me and are generous towards me about as much as anybody could be. But guess what they don't have? A shaved ice business. So you can have the relationship, but if there aren't the resources or the goods there, you don't get Or you can know where the resources are, but if you don't have the relationship, you don't get. Now listen to this and watch this. Jesus has everything that we ultimately need. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. The scripture says that all of God's promises find their yes in him. He has it all. And better than that, that he has it all. He knows and he tells us he is it all. He knows it. He has it. And he wants to give it all to us. That one day we would live in perfect unity with the Father in the way that Jesus does, unhindered by sin and limitation and brokenness. And guess what? That thing that we'll have perfectly one day, he's already set upon our hearts that we can have it in great measure now. You have been granted an inheritance. Here's just a list of promises from Scripture. It's not exhaustive in any way, but just listen to this and see if it sounds like your life or something you would love to have in your life instead, all right? These are things that God has promised that find their yes in Jesus. Peace, love, grace, wisdom, life, joy, victory, strength, guidance, power, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, truth, fellowship with God, discernment, heaven, eternal riches, glory. Do you hear all that stuff? God is not stingy. He's not withholding. He has said, in Jesus, I want you to have these things. You have an inheritance if you're somebody who is trusted in Jesus. And here we wrap it up with this because we can't leave this part out. Did you see what the passage says guarantees this inheritance for us? 
Do you see why we can walk in confidence and go, hey, I'm not to the full measure of peace that I wish I had, but I do know it is absolutely coming, no doubt about it. Why do we have confidence? What has guaranteed it for us? It says we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Been sealed. That idea of a seal there is not that necessarily of a rubber gasket that holds everything in. It's, it's more one of a seal on a letter that they would use in ancient times. Right, and they would melt wax and drop it there on the crease of the envelope or, or the packet. And then they had a ring, a signet ring usually, or a stamp that would say something about the character of that person. It would have their coat of arms on it or it would have some symbol that, that referenced their character and their name. And they would stamp it into that wax and let that wax dry. And so there was this, this imprint of the person's character saying, I have sealed this, I have taken care of this. And what we just heard Paul say to us, followers of Jesus, the seal upon your life that guarantees that you will see Jesus, that you will experience all of your inheritance is the person of the Holy Spirit. The term used here, actually speaks of a non-refundable deposit. It's the term. If you go look that term up outside of Scripture when it's used in ancient literature, it's talking about, I've given a deposit, it's not coming back to me no matter what. <laughs> when we moved to Dublin, we put $500 earnest money down on a house. And we went to the home inspection and we checked it out. And it was a good house. We could have lived in it. It would have been fine. But it had a few issues that made us a little bit nervous. And I had to come to what for me was an extremely hard decision to say, I'm going to let you keep my $500, and I'm not going to buy that house. That may not be a big deal for you, but that for, I'm, just, I'm just, I don't know. It's just how I was raised. I was like, $500? You know how many pennies that is? That's a lot, right? And I'm just going to give it to you for nothing but letting me walk in your house and check it out? That's all I'm getting for $500? But I made a decision to walk away from that. But look, I was bound. I was bound. I couldn't have that money back if I wanted it. I had given it in such a way that I had no right to reclaim it. And that is exactly how God has given his spirit to dwell in you. He has said, look, the essence of who I am, my spirit, my very person, I give to you to live in you. And I give it to you in such a way that I would never, ever claim any right to, to take it away from you. of Jesus is life with him not supposed to look way more rich than we so often experience maybe that's not your life man I'm just so tired of empty Christianity I'm so tired of motions and just doing things from rote memory because we're I just want this kind of life with Jesus where I go you're the father who has given me all these things because you love me because you've crushed your son so that I could be yours how would I not love you? How would I not want to share life back and forth with you in fellowship? How would I not want these things? You'll notice still Paul has not said a whole lot about do this or don't do that. Because we said from the beginning, he's going to take a long time just to tell you who you are. Because I think Paul would agree with this statement. Our identity will shape our behavior. When we know who we are and what we believe we are, we'll shape what we do. Follower of Jesus, I pray that your heart would swell this morning. It's been my prayer. It continues to be my prayer. That your heart would swell with the affection that God has set on you. That you would believe it and that it would influence every decision, every relationship, every aim of your life. If you're here today you don't know Jesus like that, and you're going, man, that being part of the family of the God of the universe sounds good. I'd like that. 
Not sure that's happened in my life. If that's you today, come find me when we're done. Check on that card near your seat. You'd like to speak with a pastor. Leave it in your seat. Put it in the box. Whatever. We'll, we'll talk with you as soon as we can. I promise. We want you to know the God of the universe. As followers of Jesus, how do we respond to who he says we are? Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm humbled by what you've done for me, for us. I forget it so often. I distrust it so often. God, you love us. You love us so much. God, I pray that you would help us to believe it. I pray that when the enemy or our flesh would accuse us this week and speak to us about what we're not doing well enough and how we're less than, that you would remind us, that you would prompt us by your spirit in us to remember that we were paid for by the blood of Jesus. God, I pray that we would live with a big, wide, eternal lens perspective, God, knowing that we have an inheritance waiting for us one day. We have everything that we would ever need. And we have it in spades lavishly. Let that shape the way that we live. Draw us more to yourself as we consider more who you are and who you've made us to be. Show us what that looks like as we leave this place in just a moment for worship. God, we love you. We want to love you more than we do. Help us towards that end. We ask for your name, Jesus. Amen. Man, thanks so much uh, for being here today. And